0: We're still in our summer series, Good Soil. We are composting this summer. We're seeking to be a people who, instead of throwing away our pasts, seek to see how God might use them for the sake of our future growth. You see, Christians have the opportunity to be the most real people on the planet, because though we are broken, we have indeed been redeemed. So this summer we're marching through with the help of the Psalms as they guide us emotionally to see what it is that God could compost as we confess to him, as we bring our honest pleas, cares, and concerns to him, so that we might grow. We might, as Galatians indicates, walk by the Spirit, so that these fruit that Paul gives to us become ours. This morning, we're in Psalm 110. I invite you to. Turn your Bible there, your phone there, um, it'll also be on the screen. Before we get going, I, uh, I have to say, I, I know why Tim was out of town this week. Um, I read this, I was studying this, and I said, what are we supposed to do with this guy? I hope you hear that, Tim. But thankfully, Lord um, certainly provided what I think is something that we all need um, through this powerful message. Before we read it together, uh, did you know that this psalm is quoted more than any other Old Testament passage in the New Testament? Over 20 times, this psalm is directly quoted by either Jesus, Paul, Luke, or others. And when you add in the inferences, the allusions, it grows even more. Psalm 110. When was the last time you read it? (laughs) And yet this is where so many of the writers of the New Testament looked to understand the work of God in Christ. One commentator said that this is the keyhole, this is the window through which we peer into the entire Old Testament and by which we understand The entire new. So with that weighty introduction, let's read what has changed the world and let's meditate upon it. All right, let's tend to God's word 110. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies He will shatter chiefs over the whole, or excuse me, the, over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. God, we've heard your word. Will you help us by it to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to walk with you more nearly? Amen. What types of gifts do you ask for for Christmas? Are you one of those uh, people that like the really practical things? You know, I need I need another shirt, or I need I mean, at worst, I guess some underwear. But you know, I, I need something super practical in my life, right? Is that you? Do you give gifts that way? Do you know anyone who who, who despises a practical gift? One of my best friends, I I asked him what he wanted um, for his ordination. And uh, I was thinking, I'll get him a book, something to help his ministry. He said he wanted a kayak. (laughs) I'll be honest, I'm a bit more of a practical gift giver and receiver. And, And then also when I met Dory, whose family isn't always as practical with their gift giving, I've learned there's a lot of joy. When you don't ask for just the things you need. I think that, uh, you know, often in our daily lives, we, um, we, we think the way to relate to our God is to, um, to speak to Him practically, to relate to Him rationally, um, and to, to ask that His will be done in very ordinary means and ways. And I think sometimes... Um, so I, think, I don't think that's, that's not an indictment. I mean, that's harmless that some of us prefer um, simple, plain, um, helpful things, and others of us enjoy things that serve no practical purpose but bring us great joy. There's nothing wrong with that. But then if you take it another step, we begin to actually um, require that the gift be given in a certain way. Let me give you an illustration. So there's a phenomenon going on um, about engagements. Maybe you've seen this marriage engagements. And it's not that the, the two um, are engaged, right? The, the, the gift that's wonderful and powerful. They're, they're getting together. They're gonna, they want to they wanna be together forever. It's that it has to be like epic. You know what I mean? Like you got to get the photographer hidden in the bush. You got to get, you know, Mount Everest in the background. <laughs> and, you know, you can't, you should have seen my proposal. It was the clumsiest thing I've ever attempted in my life. And there's like this pressure, especially on on, um, uh, the current generation seeking that, that it has to be a certain way. That is not good. And in fact, you know, left to our own wisdom, we begin to um, not only um, relate to God in, in only practical terms, but we begin to actually ask and desire and even demand that he provide in a certain way. If you've lived with someone, either a roommate or spouse, you know that um, it's not, the sticking point isn't that the domestic chores get done, it's just how they get done, right? Do you have a certain way you like to wash the dishes, wash the clothes, do all that? Have you ever been in an argument with someone who you live with that uh, they they, they like, they value the same thing, but they want it done a certain way? I've I've had a lot of these. So uh, (laughs) this is who we are. Some of it's harmless, but as we begin to think about it, we realize that we need help. And without the wisdom of God, we don't know what we need. You see that the banner that's going to hang over us as we consider this text this morning is that we need more than we could ever ask or imagine to ask of God. We need more than you've ever thought to ask him. That is going to guide our time this morning. Let's discover together this first need of ours. We need a unique ruler. Did you catch how I began? I said a Psalm of David. Have you seen these throughout the Psalms? There's like a little inscription at the top. Sometimes it's, you know, One is Moses, others are, are these different priests. Uh, David's written a number of them. Have you noticed these inscriptions? Well, this morning I, I read it so that you wouldn't miss it. And, and I, and I want to convey to you that this is not some later addition to the text. This is what um, the people of God received as passed down. Okay, scholar, why is that important? Well, think about it. The Lord says to my Lord. David's writing it. Who is he talking to? We know that, you know, all caps, Lord, is a fill-in for God's personal name, right? Yahweh, Jehovah. But then the the, the second one is just capital L. No caps. Who is that? Pray that Today, we might use a similar word to address someone with with respect, sir or ma'am, or whether that's a superior or a supervisor or whatever it may be. But God says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand. Jesus got caught in a debate. It was sort of the end of his earthly ministry. And they were asking him about politics. They were asking him about resurrection, and he was just knocking them out every time. And then toward the end of it, he says, let me ask you a question, religious leaders. This is in Matthew 22. He says, whose son, whose son is the Messiah? (laughs) Okay, Uh, David, you know, the promise has always been that the Messiah will come as a son of David, right? And he says, well, gotcha. And he quotes this. He says, how could David say, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. People of God, this inscription is so important to us understanding the unique ruler that we never ask for or dream to ask for. Jesus is, is certainly the son of David, but more than that, he is David's Lord. Jesus says, I'm not just his son. I'm his Lord. You see, we think that we need David 2.0. That's what, that's what Jesus' contemporaries thought, right? They Listen, we just need, and this, this psalm even read that way. Didn't it, did, did you catch sort of the political tones of it? We need another person to come in um, who has really great war strategy, um, who understands our history, and will fight our battles and deliver us. We think the same way. This, This flaw in our DNA has not changed. We just need a little bit of a helper. We've done this since the beginning. You remember when God's people asked for a king? And Samuel was like, God, they want a king, and should I give it to them? And he says, let them have their king, because they've rejected me as king. And so throughout history, we see kings that perpetually fail. We think and we ask, God, will you lead me only slightly, only in this area, will you guide me in these areas that I give to you? And we never really understand that we need more than that. We don't need another human being. We need God himself to rule our hearts. Missionary and theologian John Stott said, the essence of sin is putting yourself only where God deserves to be. If life were a chess match, and if God's plan were to checkmate you, that is when we have understood His plan for our lives. I remember uh, a few weeks ago, I was walking down Broad Street, and Eleanor really loves to play in Ray Ann's Christian bookstore with uh, uh, the toys, so... Not here to shop, just here to play. So we come in um, and we play and, you know, get a, a, few, a few minutes of childcare. Man, I feel bad for saying that. Um, but there's this, there's this new toy, toy, store, toy store that opened up a little bit further down the road. And in fact, I don't recall its name. But she, I was trying to show, like, honey, we're about to go to a place that, like, you don't even have to shop for books. Like, we're just, there's just toys from wall to wall. OK? And when we get there, you're going to love it. She didn't get it. She's like, "I want that one, So she lays on the ground, you know and screams and yells and kicks at me, and at some point I just literally pick her up, and against all of her will, I take her to that place, right? And she's like, "Oh, Dad was right." So many metaphors in parenting. Guys, we ask, we, we, we ask for that. Partial, toy store. We just we want something mediocre, and God has something so much bigger and better for us. And He's inviting us, often against our will, to learn to discover it. Most uh, most Americans, I would say, um, appreciate God. They don't. They're not against Him. That um, they find certain security. And the fact that there is a God, right, this is a form of deism, so he's, he's, he's there. We're not atheistic or agnostic, but, um, but he's not involved, right? I mean, this, this jargon um, is, is, I mean is in the soil of our country. So most people aren't really scandalized by God. But what really throws them off, what throws off every modern and postmodern hearer is that God be a person. The God show up on this planet? You see, C.S. Lewis once said, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of biology, we don't learn anything about where he came from, what he did, he's gone. Until David, inspired of the Holy Spirit, writes that this Lord of his will come after the order of Melchizedek. Why? Why? You see, in, in ancient Israel, the, the powers were, were, were separated. You know, you had the monarchy, you had the prophetic guild, and you, and you had the priesthood, right? We have this in the States to somehow to keep things uh, equitable and just. We, we divide powers, right? There was no such thing that a king would be a priest. After all, kings represent God to the people. Priests represent the people to God it's like Jekyll and Hyde it's two roles that could not go together it's like a social worker and a judge on the same team and yet we see that the ruler who's also this unique representative is both of these things is both of these things who is uh, a character for you who has just, um, I don't know, melted your heart because she or he is, um, is both like this, um, this protector, this defender of good, um, and also um, this friend, this person who seems to express compassion? Do you have anyone like that? I thought of George Bailey. It's one of my favorite movies. George was just like a defender of his people um, and and giving them loans based on integrity. And, you know, it's just a powerful case of, you know, standing up to to this greedy overlord. Remember Mr. Potter? And then what else was there about George Bailey's character? He knew all of his clients. He'd go to the bar and he'd know Mr. Martini. Like he knew them. He knew their kids' names. He, He he sat with them. He knew them. And there was something so compelling about his character. The unique representative that God has given to us is that not only does he rule with power, but he sits at our kitchen tables and asks us how our day was. says, how you doing? And he brings these together in such beauty that we're, our need is met in ways we can only imagine. You see, Levitical priesthood, right? The sons of Levi, this was, these were the priests in Israel. And yet Jesus is, after some other guy who, who has you know, mentioned one time, why is he not a Levitical priest? But the Levitical priesthood was limited. The high priest could go in once a year. Jesus has unlimited access. He's there right now, behind the curtain. In the throne room, Levitical priests were weak. They were human beings polluted by sin and brokenness. Jesus is perfectly holy. Levitical priests were appointed by the law, the law of Moses. Jesus has been appointed priest by the very word of God, the very covenant language of God. The blood of goats, think about it, guys, does not save human beings. I'm not mocking the system. But there's nothing effectual about that. But the power of Jesus as priest means that we are saved completely. Levitical priest died and and grew up and Jesus lives forever. Do you see the picture? Jesus is so much greater. We think we need another Levite. We think we just need another average person. To help us, to forgive us, to represent us. And God in his infinite wisdom, though we do not ask, provides incredibly. The writer of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek again. Hebrews chapter 7. I encourage you to read it sometime. It is powerful stuff. He says that because of this, Jesus is the guarantor of the new covenant. The better covenant. Therefore, he is able to save Completely, because he always lives to intercede. If you're like me at all, um, there's something that it, it nags at you all the time. You struggle with it every day, every week, every other season. I don't know what it is. It, maybe it's maybe it's a, maybe it's an anger issue. Maybe maybe. You struggle to, to just, con- you're always lashing out angrily. Maybe it's an indulgence issue. I don't know, um, uh, food or um, you know, lustful thoughts. I don't know. Maybe it's a patience issue. If you're like me, you've got something that it just continues to pop up. It's that weed in the garden that you're just, you grow exasperated over how much you continue to struggle with it. A high priest Jesus, because he's there, because his sacrifice was was final, those perpetual, lingering problems, sufferings, sins that we have do not make his work on your behalf any less. I had a friend, I have a couple of friends who I share every detail of my life with. Um, I just need it. Other than my spouse, I need voices to hear, to make sense of, and to, to speak into me. And I grow tired of constantly reaching out to these people. Struggle with that again. That happened again. I don't know if you've tasted this, but this is gospel good news, folks. When you begin to share with consistency, against everything in your physical being telling you to hide, and someone responds with, I love you. I like you. I enjoy you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud of you. You will begin to change. You will. You've heard it. You know, shame is a helpful... um, motivator but it ends it fades the gas runs out the motivator to the good life is to be met with grace when you fail and the great high priest jesus this is who he is he doesn't grow tired of the same problem that you carry with you but after you hear it over and over and over and over again that he, you are a faithfully good servant of him because of christ's work on your behalf you will begin to experience freedom you'll begin to actually be motivated to grow, to resist, to be loved. The power of of this passage this morning is, is not that we have one or the other, but that we have them together. Christ is our King Priest. And I'll end with this. There was a, did you catch sort of the, the strange, um, almost uncomfortable language about corpses being built up? Did that, did that throw you off at all? Lots of dead people? Um, threw me off. I was like, I don't know how to do that. Um, but, uh, but then I, I found something with the help of someone much smarter than I. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read this to you. So this is a prayer that Paul offers to us and he says this it's the biggest run-on sentence in all the bible (laughs) verse 20 that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places psalm 110 far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet psalm 110 And gave him as head over all things to the church, catch this, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills it. David, just like you and I, we don't see the future. We understand the work of God according to our pasts. If there's to be a deliverer of God's people, he's got to be like me. He's got to be a warrior king who goes out and fights battles and delivers God's people. But Jesus' battle plan does not use weapons of war. You see, if he were to fight in the same way, there would be no eternal peace. What often happens in the aftermath of war? Resentment? I don't know. Hatred? (laughs) Wait till I get my army big again. I'm coming back to you, you know? It's never over. You see Jesus the priest king he wins the war through his love he turns enemies into friends the passage always talks also talks about all these people flocking to his aid they'll come willingly you won't have to enlist them they'll be so attracted by you not in a gross sense but in a very compelling sense that they'll just join ranks ready to fight You see, the ultimate defeat of evil is to win your enemies. And that's what he's done. Instead of bodies being built up, it was his body. And the body over which he rules the church is a body of life that's growing. Jesus is the priest king for which we never asked though we desperately need. And because he doesn't just bring sacrifices forever, we have peace with God. We are totally reconciled to him.
1: In Christ, we've not just been forgiven. Our slate has not just been wiped clean. The debt of our bank account has not been forgiven only. We've not just been given a second chance. How often do we functionally believe? That is what's good about Jesus. What makes it absolutely compelling is he fills up the bank account. He gives us his resume. He puts his reference on the back of our resumes. His pedigree becomes ours. And we no longer, forever and ever, can be pushed away by our brokenness. So I invite you today and this week as we follow this king-priest king, that we will begin to emulate this wonderful love and this wonderful rule that he has for us. Let's pray again. God, you said, your servant Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 that it's no longer bodies that get heaped up. That's not how you win the war anymore. You win the war cause your enemies to like you. <laughs> you don't have to send out a draft card. We come willingly because you don't come with weapons of war. You've come with a message, with a heart that seeks to win those who hate you. So thank you that the body that now exists is your being. has we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is Love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Our names are graven on his hands. Our names